We're going to read from the Bible together just now, but we're going to read from Acts chapter 16, which is really the beginnings of the church at Philippi. Paul preaches the gospel there and sees the church planted and established on his second missionary journey. And so we're going to read from Acts chapter 16 and beginning to read at verse 11, and we'll read down to verse 24. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of, the, of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men, are, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. Well, thanks to Pete. Please do keep your Bibles open with me as we turn to the letter of Philippians tonight. And we want to think about Philippians. And as we've heard, we've got the context a little bit into place. We hear of Lydia being converted and then the Philippian jailer who will be converted. And we want to dive into this letter of Philippians this evening. We want to read the first 11 verses, but really we're going to only focus on the first two. Right. I promise the series won't be as slow as that, but this evening we want to get a foothold in the, in the book, in the letter, and then we'll speed up as we go through. But Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. This is God's word to us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine 
for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, as we launch into the book of Philippians, into this letter, what we want to think about is joy. Where can joy be found? Now, as a Portadown man, I have experienced great joy this year as Portadown have managed to defeat our foes, Glenavon, twice. But the joy is fleeting, right? It passes away really quickly. It's just great that I get to bring it up every now and again, but it passes away really quickly because undoubtedly Glenavon will beat us again. Now, we're going to look at some words here from a famous Hollywood actor, Matthew McConaughey. He has written a book, and the words might be a little bit small for you, but I'm going to read them out. This is what Matthew McConaughey summarizes in his book right at the end, and it concludes about life and about joy and where it's to be found. He says, what's it all about? I've followed celestial suggestions, made associations, heard many voices, and dealt with the reality by literally chasing down my dreams. I have rented, had flings, hobbies, and chased butterflies to who knows where. All stops, no stays on my resume road to where I am today. I have found possessions, laws, relationships, careers, a wife and family. We don't live longer when we try not to die. We live longer when we're too busy living. Matthew McConaughey's words, sentiment, but no answer. Experiences, but no lasting joy. Trying to find permanent joy in this world is like chasing a butterfly. It's always ducking and weaving. It's always bobbing about. It's always dipping out of our reach. We can never quite grasp it. We're trying to find this experience. And we may have it in a moment, momentary joy, a new friendship, a new car, a baby being born, but lasting joy, lasting joy escapes us. And yet everyone is trying to find it. Careers, partners, money, travel, investments, stuff. Well, tonight if we're looking for true joy, Christian joy, then we need to turn to the book of Philippians because it is the letter of joy. Some questions that I want us to hold in our minds tonight. How can we live as joyful people? How can we be unshakable in our joy, even in the worst of times? And why are Christians supposed to be joyful people? Well, I trust we'll find the answers to these questions in Philippians 1. Now, one commentator describes this letter as the sunniest of all of Paul's letters, and the same commentator goes on to say that Philippians is the perfect remedy for the somber mood that often dominates these troubled times in which we live. So if we ever needed a dose of Philippians, if we ever needed to mine in the book of Philippians, 
then surely it is now. We need to feast on this letter. And it's an astonishing thing. Why? Well, this letter that's summarized or dominated by the theme of joy is written by Paul whilst in chains in a Roman jail. Should he have been joyful? The world would say no. Well, why then is he? And he writes to this church, this Philippian church. It's the city of Philippi. It's around 62 AD. Uh, this, this city is, a, is a, a, Greek, a Greek city, but it's now a Roman colony. It's set about 10 miles from the shore. It's an attractive place. Lots of the aristocrats live there with their slaves. There are lots of traders in this place. It's also the place that lots of Roman soldiers go to retire to, a little bit like the North Coast for ministers, where everybody seems to go and retire there. That's what this place is like. It's a nice place. It's a loyal place. It's known as Little Rome. As citizens are loyal to the crown, to the emperor, they have got some benefits. They're able to own land, and they're able to escape tax. But Paul visits this church, and he plants the church. Pete read those words for us. And then he writes this letter back, whilst in chains in Rome, a joy-saturated letter. So I want us to define joy. Before we go any further, I want us to find a definition that we can hold on to that we'll work off over the next coming weeks. And the best definition that we could get is from John Piper. It'll come up on the screen. He says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Now, we will work through this in various weeks, but this is the what of joy. All right, we're defining it here. This is the what of joy. But tonight, I want us to understand the source of joy. You see, we can know joy. You really can, and I really can know a joy-filled life. We can live a joy-filled life. We can know it in our minds and in our hearts. We can live it. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have to find the source. And the source of Christian joy, the source of your joy, the source of my joy, the source of our church's joy, the Hill Street Church family, is completely contained in and flows out of the doctrine of union to Christ. That's it. Our joy as a church family, your individual joy, is completely contained in and flows out of the doctrine of union to Christ. Joy, true joy, cannot be experienced outside of being united to Jesus. Or to put it another way, being united to Christ and consequently to each other is the seedbed from which joy will grow. And perhaps you're saying to me tonight, John, what on earth is union to Christ? What is that doctrine? Well, I don't want it to intimidate us. Instead, we're going to delve deeper into it and explore it. What does it mean to be united to Christ? We're going to think about that this week. Next week, we'll think about what it means to be united to each other and united in our cause. But tonight, verses 1 and 2, being united to Jesus. I wonder what your memories are of the, the playground and of the sports day at primary school. Whenever I was at primary school, and one of my primary school friends is here, he will have, uh, remember me in these days. My favorite race or favorite part of this was the egg and spoon race. And the only reason it was the egg and spoon race is because my physique didn't lend itself particularly well 
to physical running, and hopefully with a spoon and an egg, it gives me some sort of advantage over other people to try and balance it. I was built for rugby, shall we say, whenever I was at primary school, and definitely not for running. Now, whenever it came to the three-legged race, no one wanted to be my partner. No one wanted to be the partner with the big chunky kid because they were sure that they weren't going to win. Now, we may not lose, but we certainly weren't going to win. Now, spiritually speaking, I want us to work on this, that we're in a three-legged race. Imagine this. We're in a three-legged race. And by default, every one of us are attached to sin and death and Satan. That's who we're tied to. That's what we're tied to. We're in this destructive union. And it means that we will face judgment and eternal punishment. Everyone that is born is born into this, tied to sin and death and Satan. Well, union to Christ then is the opposite. Union to Christ means that we are united to Jesus, therefore we share in his death and in his resurrection, meaning that our sins are atoned for. And as we thought about last week, it is finished. We are justified, adopted, sanctified, and glorified because we are united to him. It means that Jesus is in us through the Holy Spirit and that we are in him forever and it will not change. Union to Christ means that we as Christians are tied to, grafted into, united to, implanted into, and part of Jesus. And friends tonight, this is the cause for our joy. As we sit here in the church and in the hall and at home, this is the cause for it, to be united to Jesus. It's the shorthand way of saying that we're a Christian. We're saved, born again, adopted, forgiven, eternally secure in the Father's hand. We have communion with our Father, and we have the Holy Spirit given to us irrevocably as a deposit between now and eternity. So being united to Jesus means that we can enjoy Him, that we can enjoy every promise in Scripture as we read of it in the Old Testament and in the New. It means that we're brought under God's rule and reign, that we're citizens of His kingdom, that we're joined and restored with this relationship with the Father, that we have the resurrection power flowing through us. We were once dead corpses, and He has raised us to life. So this doctrine of union to Christ is the foundation of this letter, and without it, there's no joy. Paul shows it to us in three ways in these first two verses, and we can simply skip over it and not notice it. Look in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, we'll, we'll look at that, to the saints in Christ Jesus, grace, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly, in this first verse, this subtle little way, Paul describes Timothy and, his, and himself as servants of Jesus. More literally, this could be translated as slaves. Now, we miss this in our context, but in the context of the day, the people knew exactly what this meant. You see, to be a slave in Philippi meant that you were like a piece of property. You were under the master's care. You belonged to the master. Their life was in the master's hands. They were completely dependent upon their master. The master had to meet all of their needs. 
They couldn't travel without the master's permission. And the whole purpose of their lives was to please their master. So as Paul is communicating this, that him and Timothy are slaves of Christ, it means that they have been bought by Jesus. That word that we often use in church, redeemed. They now live to serve Jesus, united to him under his control. And this isn't a burden. Instead, it's a privilege. It is a joy because they're free from sin and death and Satan, servants of their master. And so too, for us here this evening, if we are in Christ, if we have been saved by grace, we are servants, we are slaves of Jesus. It means that we don't just come here and act like spiritual hoovers and suck up everything that we can, but rather we serve Jesus. Servants of. And then secondly, and I want us to really focus in on this one in verse 2, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Paul is making it really clear that for all who are believers, they are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ Jesus. It's a positive declaration. It's a huge statement. They have been delivered from darkness into vital vital life, into union with Christ. So can we start to see that tonight being united to Jesus changes everything? For each person listening to this tonight, in the church, in the meeting house, in the hall, online, being united to Jesus changes everything. A couple of quotes to help us see the significance of this. John Owen, an English Puritan, writes this, union to Christ is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of they are all communicated onto us by virtue of our union to Christ. What's he saying? Because of our union to Christ, we have all of these benefits, all of the benefits of salvation. Sinclair Ferguson, union with Christ is the foundation of all our spiritual experiences and spiritual blessings. And then John Murray, there is no truth, therefore, more suited to impart what? confidence and strength, comfort and joy in the Lord than union to Christ. So we've got to grasp it. These opening two verses, we need to mind these, not just tonight, but every, every day, every week of our lives. These are so important for us to understand. And this lands in our lives. It lands like this. The true joy is not dependent upon earthly circumstances. Praise the Lord for that. Our earthly joy is not dependent upon earthly circumstances. Instead, it rests upon our unchanging relationship with the Lord. Unchanging relationship with the Lord. How good is that? Because once we're united to Jesus, we cannot be separated from him. And it's the cause of all our joy. Being in Jesus means we are secure in him forever, unable to be detached from him. So have we often left our Savior? I would say we have. But has he left us? Absolutely not. Have we had many trials and troubles? Yes. Has he ever deserted us? 
Absolutely not. Has he ever turned away his heart and shut away his compassion? Absolutely not. So he holds us secure. And if you're here tonight and you're listening to this and you have been wavering in your faith recently because of all that we've had to endure, because we haven't been able to come along and meet together, because of your life circumstances, you need to hear this tonight in verse 6. Paul writes with absolute surety in Philippians 1 and verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How can he say that? Because of verse 2. He knows that those who are saved are in Christ Jesus. Now, practically, what does this look like? What does it look like for you and for me? Well, when you feel like you've messed up and that God doesn't want to know you anymore, you need to know. You need to know that you are united to Jesus forever. And that means that he wants you as his son or daughter. When you think God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder, a little slower to forgive, you need to know tonight that you are in an eternal union with your Father, and His mercy and love is new every morning. If you are in Christ and you are troubled and worried that you have ruined your salvation, you need to know that your waywardness does not threaten your place in the love of God. Christ came and he died for you. This is what it means to be united to him. Perhaps tonight your feelings, your feelings over the last few months have been lying to you, telling you that God has removed himself from you. Well then, you need to know that Jesus' heart is gentle and lowly. He has not removed himself. Instead, he came here to save you, to unite you to himself. Or whenever Satan brings to remembrance old sins and he tries to condemn you with it, you need to know you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And there there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you feel like you can't keep going as a Christian, you need to know that you're united. United to him, the one who will sustain you who will love you in your mess and through your mess. How do we know that? Well, while we were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. That means he won't give up on us now. In the depths of depression, you need to know that you are held in the Father's hand and that no darkness can hide his love for you. You are still united to Jesus. And when worry and anxiety seek to cripple you, You need to know that Jesus is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords, the one who has shaped history, who is in sovereign control of all things. And you need to know that because you're united to him, you have nothing to fear. When you're successful, you need to know that you're united to Jesus and therefore you live for him and for his glory and not for your own. And when you're breezing through life, you need to know that you're united to Jesus, that he is the source of your joy, not your bank account or your health or your relationships. And when temptation to sin comes, you need to remember that you are Jesus' servant, that you're a citizen of a different kingdom. And when you're riddled with despair, when the world looks at us and the world tells us that there's no hope and it's full and full of bad news, you need to know that you're united to Jesus. 
and therefore we are filled with joy. You see, the world will say to us, your joy, well, your joy is based upon what you do. It's based upon actions or what is done upon you. Well, listen, Christian joy is not based upon what I do. Instead, my joy is found in what I am. And that is Jesus has taken me and he has united me to himself. Isn't this great news for us tonight? Isn't it great news that joy lies outside of us, outside of our circumstances? That joy isn't dependent upon a spouse or a child or buying a better car or having a, a bigger house than your rival or than your sibling or having all your sexual desires fulfilled. Instead, Christian joy is in Jesus and in our union to him primarily. And this joy is not shallow. It's not like fleeting happiness. It is not fake, but it is deep. Aren't Christians who are full and filled with joy, who are joyful, aren't they attractive people? I don't mean just someone who's sort of happy and floating along. I mean someone who has borne the scars of this life, the wounds of this life, who have suffered in this life, and yet, and yet they are filled with joy in Jesus. They know the truth of being united to him and all the benefits that that includes. Saved, justified, adopted, sanctified. Someone like that is so attractive. Christian joy is attractive. The world craves it, and yet it cannot find it. And so tonight I want to encourage you each of us, that we would live like joy-filled Christians, joy-full Christians, because of understanding verse 1 and verse 2 of Philippians. So we look at our union to Christ, this beautiful image, this beautiful truth of who we are. So we close this evening. A few weeks ago, I was able to go for a walk with my dad, and we were able to go to the Botanic Gardens, managed to get him out of Portadown into Belfast for a coffee and uh, introduce him to the coffee culture in Belfast. And then we thought we'd go for a little walk around Botanic Gardens. And it's a beautiful place. And if you haven't been, you should definitely go. Uh, and we, we were literally spent, I'd say, well over an hour walking around looking at trees. And there's the name of that tree. And what's the name of that tree? And isn't this a beautiful plant? And all the colors, it was wonderful. And then we came to a spot where a big tree had fallen over. And it had totally racked the fence and, and it burst the curb. And Dad and myself sort of were talking to one another, saying, I wonder what happened to that tree. I wonder why that tree fell over compared to all the rest. What's going on there? Well, the exposed roots of the tree made it really easy to diagnose what had gone wrong. The roots were short and they were shallow, they were feeble. What looked like a majestic tree actually had been in great danger for a long time. People may have thought that outward it was beautiful, its leaves and its branches were beautiful, but its roots, its roots were faulty. Tonight as we close off our opening section of Philippians, we want to make sure that as Christians tonight, our roots are not faulty. We want to make sure that before we look good on the outward, that our flowers and fruit, that actually our soil that we are in is rich and full of nutrients. You get the picture. Bad roots ends in disaster. Good roots enables the tree to endure whatever storm comes. 
Now, the roots of our Christian life must be found deep down in the nutrient-rich soil of the doctrine of union to Christ. Because whenever they are, then the joy that overflows from that, the knowledge and the experience of it, is like the life-giving sap that flows through the tree. It brings strong branches and glorious fruit. Tonight, if you're here, and you don't know what it means to be united to Christ, but you see it as attractive, and you want to be united to Him, cry out to Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin this evening. As the stewards come in a few moments and direct you to leave, if you want to speak to someone, ask one of the stewards that you can speak with Nigel or myself. Be united to Jesus tonight. Don't leave here not being united to Him. And if you're a Christian here this evening, I trust that you'll leave this place full of joy for what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, we praise you this evening that joy is not dependent upon us, that our joy depends fully and solely on your Son, the Lord Jesus, and that our joy is stored safely in Him. What a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian. What a wonderful thing that you have done for us to unite us to your Son, all the things that are His will be ours and are ours. We praise You. May we be filled with joy and wonder and praise of what You have done for us this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen.